Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And 4 p.m. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Looking forward to this time together with you, my dear listener. I hope you're having a good day to this point, and we're going to hopefully offer you a lot of reassurance and and uh, comfort today. We want to talk about some of that with uh, the guys on Guy Talk. The power panel is pretty much in place. I don't think Agent Just, uh, Jepson is with us yet, but Pastors Tom Parrish, Tom Brock, and Peter Kapsner are on board. Gentlemen, welcome. Good Thanks, to be Bill. with you, Bill. Tom Brock, you're doing a road trip. You've come to us via phone. Thank you for doing that. And he's not with us. <laughs> <laughs> we did hear his voice a little I bit ago, though. I love talking to silence. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds of silence. Hear me, Bill? I hear you now. Did welcome. You? All right. Some guy just pushed the button. I was in Branson, the most evangelistic place I've ever been in my life. Well, how was it? I mean, well, I, Did I you mean, get you saved? walk into a restaurant. Or, well, <laughs> yes, Bill, I've left Lutheranism for, no. Um, but I want to tell you, it's just, you go to their big Silver Dollar City amusement park, uh, you go to the stage show, and they're sharing their testimonies, and oh, wow. then they have a hymn sing, and then you go to hear this uh, cowboy cook do his res- do his thing, but he sits up and says, let's all pray first, and all the hats come off. I mean, it was... It was not Minneapolis. Let's put it that way. Wow, that's impressive. That I is did, impressive. I did not know it was it was that uh, that spiritual. Well, and then you go to the famous shows down in Branson, and they're they're singing gospel song. I mean, it was just permeated everything. It was wonderful. Well, well, are you uh, yeah almost back in town, or you're still driving I'm, back? I'm almost back. I'm I'm getting I'm staying overnight at a free Bible camp in Iowa. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> This, this pastor knows how to squeeze every penny. Yes, anyway. yes. So I want to start t- today's show with just uh, offering an encouragement to listeners. I think there's uh, been enough weird news lately, and I think there's uh, a reason just to be comforted in, in God's Word and, and His promises. So uh, any one of God's promises come to mind, uh, any place you go for personal strength to be reassured, what comes to mind? I love going to Romans 8. Hmm. Is that about the separation? Uh, uh, that well, one? I like to start in 28, yeah. that all things work together for good to mm. those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And then I do love 38 and 39, for there's mm. nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. So I always love those two places to go just to feel reassured. Mm. Yeah, I remember back when uh, I was traveling with uh, quite a bit of anxiety, I think as an uh, undergrad, when I was maybe 20 or so years old. And, and I don't to this day, I don't know who put the verse in my post box back at that time, but it was the verse that cast all your anxiety on him because mm-hmm. he cares for you. And, and I didn't know necessarily what that actually means to somehow, you know, chuck your anxiety upon God or, or what that would be like. But I just sort of began a discipline pretty regularly of just saying, gosh, I'm feeling anxious. I don't know why. Usually anxiety is birthed out of some sense of idolatry where I'm pursuing something in my life that I think is going to bring me peace and it actually doesn't. And, and in those places to kind of cast that anxiety on God and say, hey, 
both reveal what it is that I'm turning to that is maybe wreaking a bit, a bit of havoc in my soul, number one. And number two, um, can you can you fill me with a sense of, of trust and peace in the midst of it in, in ways that I can't manipulate my circumstances around me well enough to bring a sense of peace? The circumstances somehow are always just a little bit outside of my control, whatever those circumstances might be. And so I'm just going to give that present and future over to you in whatever way I can. And, and that does tend to bring a, a sense of reassurance along with it, I found over the years. Mm. Over all these years being a pastor, I have seen enough tears. You could literally fill a swimming pool. I mean, lots of tears, loss, death, uh, brokenness. And that's why I keep going back to Revelation, for me, 21, verse 4, about the new heaven and new earth that's coming. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And, you know, what we're going through now is temporary, but where we're going is incredible, and it's eternal, and there is no pain, and there are no tears. And I look forward to that day. Uh, with all my heart, and the older I get, I'll be honest, the more I look forward to it. Sounds awesome, Tom Parrish. What about you, Tom Brock? Well, you know, I'm thinking about a sermon I heard from an old white-haired pastor 40 years ago, <laughs> and he he encouraged us, when you get anxious or stressed, to take out the book of Psalms and just pick a psalm and read it out loud. And I love doing that if I'm stressed or or whatever, and, you know, maybe a verse isn't coming to mind, just to pick any psalm and to read it out loud. Mm-hmm. That helps me. Yeah, agreed. I like that. And uh, Agent Justin is not with us yet, is he? All right. That's uh, that's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. I did just get a note from Agent Jepson, however. What did he say? He is allegedly still in a meeting, but we know better than that, right? And he's, yeah. He said he'll call as soon as he's done, but uh, we know what a meeting might mean for him. One of the neatest things I ever saw, Bill, was a woman in our congregation who had a, a ministry, and at first I thought it was kind of strange, but she would call everybody in the congregation. She'd systematically call everyone, and she'd pray the night before, and mm-hmm. she'd say, Peter, as I was praying last night about you and your family, this verse came to mind, and she'd read the verse. And it was always one of those uplifting verses, one that gives you hope and gives you a future. What was interesting, I found out, is the first time she had gone through the congregation doing that, everybody thought she was nuts. Mm-hmm. By the second time, they found it comforting. And by the third time, they were almost demanding it. And so we need to hear that over and over and over so badly. Well, there is something about the God-breathed Word, is there not, that that has a, a life and a, and a force and an energy about it that the, that even the most inspiring literature may not. Now, I am moved to tears by certain stories in literature, whether it's the story of Les Miserables, for example, in sure. Jean Valjean, or, or so many different forms of literature. And they really do move my spirit, but, but they're still... They, they can't do what the inspired Word of God does, where the Spirit sort of inhabits that Word in some kind of way, and it brings an energy and a life to it that, that hits the places inside of me that I simply cannot reach as a human being through any other means or method. And it really does bring a, a sense of unexplained, though very real peace, that idea of a peace that passes all understanding. I love that phrase. Because I, I love being around people. When you look at their outside circumstances, there is no way that they should be a peaceful person at all. Right. And, and yet somehow beyond that understanding, something is active in their life that, that has a capacity to bring that sort of peace. Mm-hmm. And Bill, yes, Tom. I was at, like I say, I was at Silver Dollar City in Branson. <laughs> and they have the stage. Oh, wait a minute. I'm making a point. And they had the stage show. And this guy is up playing the piano who's got one leg. He's, he was crippled and secondarily in a second accident where his neck was cricked up. And he gave the most powerful testimony that he said, you know, look at me. 
every morning when I wake up, I have to choose that I'm going to make this a good day. Wow. Mm. And, and just, you know, I'll tell you, he was so positive. It was so refreshing. And I'm thinking, what was I complaining about? And just the, the, the need of, you know, um, Peter just talked about the scripture really giving us inspiration, but also just other being around other Christians and letting them just speak into our lives. And when I have a, a super anxiety, I got to talk it out with somebody. So, I mean, scriptures is great, of course, but sometimes you need another human being to talk your anxieties out with. And here's a guy that's gone through so much. He's got a great attitude and he just taught me. Yeah. I love people with good attitudes. Yeah, good word. I always learn from them. All right, as we live in a world that obviously is filled with lots of uh, things that make us uh, feel out of control, there's a lot of uncontrollable things that are going on, uh, things that are beyond our comprehension, of course. And then I think of in Matthew, uh, I think, or John chapter 6, where Jesus is walking on water. Not only is he walking on water, but he's walking through a storm Mm. on water. Right. You guys ever made that connection? I haven't seen that before, actually. That's really mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, that there's a, there, there's something, but but I think we've met those kind of people in life, right? Where they're they're empowered by some other kind of reality that uh, that even as the storms of life are surrounding them, they're able to kind of walk in the midst of it. I know somehow, and and I think the fascinating thing about when you read the scriptures and Jesus. When he has these disciples, there is an assumption back in that time. I mean, Jesus was not the only one who called out disciples. He called out a very unusual set of disciples, a bunch of sort of personal failures and sinners and and fishermen that weren't great at their jobs and and not the best and the brightest by any stretch. But there was an assumption that if you became a disciple of somebody, it wasn't only to just learn from that person for your own sense of well-being. It was that ultimately you would become an apprentice in their way of life and you could become and do the kinds of things that your rabbi or the person discipling you would do. And so there was a sense in which Jesus, in showing them how to walk through the storms on that water, that both as a metaphor for life, but also as a real thing. I mean, it's part of why Peter ended up getting out of the boat and in and, and the learning process that we see, there was an assumption becoming Christ-like actually means becoming Christ-like. And, and I think we lose some of the sense of, of, of what that invitation was to the early disciples when they were to follow Jesus. We are Christians. That means that we are to follow Jesus, which means that some of those kinds of things are available to us, not in our own earthly power, but as we partner with God's Spirit in this world, we can become the kind of people that are walking through storms in that same sort of way. I like the parallel story about when they're in the boat and the storm comes up and Jesus is asleep. And it gets so bad that they run back and they go, Jesus, wake up. We, we're, we're in a terrible storm. And then, of course, the storm calms. The bottom line of that is Jesus is sleeping through the storm. Mm. Not that he's indifferent. It's that the storm doesn't affect him. Right. And too often when we don't hang on to Jesus, everything affects us. And so it's learning how to cling on to Jesus, uh, learning to go to prayer, learning to talk to others, uh, learning to confess out loud and cry out to him. And I, one of the best things I've heard when I go visit people in the hospital, I'll, I'll walk in on some, and they're crying mm-hmm. out to the Lord right in their hospital bed. It's wonderful. So, and, you know, there's, all, there's only one place in the Bible where Jesus is asleep, and it's the verse you just mentioned. And mm-hmm. I, recently, I recently preached on that, and Jesus wakes up, and the disciples are jumping up and down, and and he says, where is your faith? And they they said to him, don't you care? And I think their, their sin was hmm. not that they were afraid. Their sin was thinking God didn't care. And I think the reason Jesus could sleep in a storm is because he knew even if the boat go down, 
God's going to take care of me one way or another. Yeah. I think that's the key is that if you're going through a divorce or your marital problems or uh, you've got cancer or your kids are on drugs, if you can maintain the belief through prayer, fellowship, etc., that God indeed still cares and somehow he's going to take care of me in this life or the next, uh, that helps us be calm during the storm. Mm-hmm. If you are in the middle of your own personal storm right now, we're just here for you. Just so you know, God has absolute power over all forces of evil and darkness and has an answer for you. And we want to stand by you and pray for you and um, just let us know if, what we can do to help. Uh, you can always send me a text, 877-933-2484. This time is for you. If you have a question or something you'd like the Power Panel to chew on, let it, let me know what it is. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back. song to guy talk nothing from nothing leaves nothing <laughs> that's never not funny that's, about that's, that. not, it's not terribly encouraging though is no, it no, no, but it is representative <laughs> yeah it really is all right uh let me know if you've got a question or an issue would you would like us to discuss uh the floor is yours 877 Here's a question out of Proverbs chapter 4, 25 to 27. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. At the same time, the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? These two passages are confusing how do we fix our gaze directly to the Lord and also deal with our desperately sick heart that is not understandable? Wow, who wants to go first? Parrish is raising his hand. Okay. <laughs> pick me, pick me. Yeah, he really is. Yeah, yeah good. <laughs> I think if we look at these passages and think of ourselves in isolation, we're in trouble. And what I mean by that is Jesus formed the church for a reason. He didn't form it as a great organization with big buildings and nice steeples. He formed it as a body of people. And when when I'm walking with the Lord and my eyes are fixed and my gaze is right and I'm walking with him and I've confessed my sins, I can help a brother or sister who's really struggling. When I'm in trouble and my heart is, is lying to me and I'm saying, yeah, I can do this or that when I really can't, that's when I need a brother or sister in Christ that can come and say to me, wait a minute, Tom, think about this. And I think that's the problem because if we try to face this alone, this gets confusing mm-hmm. because my heart can be all over the place when I'm upset. It can be right on track when I'm seeing somebody else in need and can t- try to minister to them. So I think these two verses uh, really are what the church is meant to be. It is the fulfillment of the reality of Jesus among us that can help guide our heart and give us hope even when everything looks confusing. Uh, but I know my heart, now nah, I don't trust it. it. It can be all over the place. And that's why when I come and I do this program with you guys or I'm with some other pastors I trust or lay people, I'm always thankful when people speak the truth. 
because they, they will look at me and they'll say, you know, you're full of it today. And, and that's okay. Mm. My mother used to say that to me, too. <laughs> and that's a healthy thing because I know I'm loved and people are going to tell me the truth. Yeah, I appreciate that you bring up context a little bit on that too, Parrish, just in terms of, you know, when we take these verses out independently from the scriptures and try to understand them apart from maybe to whom they were written and what was going on in the circumstances, I know part of Jeremiah's concern would have been to the nation of Israel that they were getting stuck in sort of rote obedience and empty yeah. ritual, thinking that they sort of um, lived in the, almost this transactional relationship with God, that as long as they did the sacrifices, as long as they did the kinds of rituals that God had asked them to do, that they were sort of in right relationship with God. And it didn't matter what was going on in their heart, which is why uh, God in other parts of the Old Testament is like, you know, I don't care about your sacrifices anymore. It's a contrite heart or a heart that is broken and humble that I'm looking for. And so... Um, if you think that you can appease me or think that you can sort of uh, transact with me somehow through empty ritual, uh, just understand the heart is super deceitful, and that's what I'm after. I'm actually after the heart here so that it falls in alignment with me. And so how does somebody then keep their eyes fixed on the right path without turning to the left and the right? I would suggest it starts with the posture of humility. It starts with the posture. If you look at the word obey in the Old Testament Hebrew language, uh, there's a sense in which it literally means to live within the voice of God who is your shepherd, meaning that you are you are hearing his voice as your shepherd guiding you down the right kind of path. That pathway imagery is almost always imagery associated with the shepherd who's leading us. And so there's a real difference between those two passages that says one person is like, hey, done and dusted. I just did all of my acts of obedience for God, but my heart is still deceitful above all else. And that is contrasting somebody who says, hey, look, I'm a bit of a zoo, a bit of a disaster. I can't walk down this pathway by myself. I need to be humble and to live within the breath of God as my shepherd so that my eyes will stay fixed on the path. I think that's some of what's going on there. It's a a pretty constant contrast, certainly, within the Old Testament. And, you know, I like that verse, believe it or not, from Jeremiah. Uh, Bill, the heart is desperately sick or deceitful above all else. Mm -hmm. Who can understand it? Yeah. And the reason I like that is because I can have some pretty horrendously evil thoughts, and that verse tells me I'm not abnormal. Um, God knows your heart. I've always responded, yeah, that's the problem. He knows my heart, and it ain't good. But that verse just shows the universality of sin. We're born sinners, and uh, it, it, so it, that verse, even though it sounds depressing, it gives us hope that uh, look, we're all in the same boat. There aren't people that don't have a desperately sick heart. We've all got a sick heart, which is why we need Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, most of us don't need a physician until we know how sick we are. And that's why mm-hmm. this is so important. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. What, 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 what do I hear? Secret agent <laughs> He's here. His alleged meeting is over. I guess he's here. Yeah. Welcome like to the it. show, Justin. Wow, well, I'm just... Trying to, lurk, trying to lurk in the radio shadows over here, and you totally called me out. Was, nice to no, have I'm you on just, board. Uh, hey, it's great to be here. Great. Sorry for my late uh, my late arrival, but glad to be with you all. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I'm, I'm just kind of catching up here on the question here. I think one of the things I just agree with everything that's been shared, and I think that's kind of a, maybe a different um, or something to maybe kind of add to it. Um, you know, what came to my mind was this passage in, First John three nineteen that says by by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him for whenever our heart condemns us God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. It goes on to say that really that 
I mean, really, that what he's talking about is that we're under the new covenant. We've actually received a new heart. God has replaced our heart of stone with the heart of flesh. That doesn't mean, you know, that, in other words, as we look inward, um, we're not actually doing that in isolation like Tom talked about. Um, we're doing that in partnership with the Holy Spirit who lives there, who lives in me. And so um, I think that's something to keep in mind, too, that, that this is not— in terms of fixing our eyes holding on God or setting our heart upon him isn't something that we can do in our own power or strength or by our rote obedience and our willpower or of the flesh. It's it's really a work um, that's a result of the regenerating uh, power of the Holy Spirit who continues to renew us um, each day. And so and that that idea of abiding, of that of remaining, um, I think being being in the word, being in community and uh, and I would say listening to Guy talk, that probably helps. Yeah, so, I, I couldn't agree more. That's the big one. So. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, in James chapter 1, starting in verse 6, it says, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Who is this believe and not doubt person? Do you mm. guys know this person? <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, I, that is a hard one. I, and it says no double-minded person right. did think that he's going to receive anything from the Lord. Boy, that's a hard verse, because... Don't we all have our double-mindedness? Don't we all have our doubt? Maybe it means that that's who this person is ultimately. All they do is doubt the Lord. All they have is double-minded. They never fight their doubt or double-mindedness. Mm. So I'm hoping that's what it means, because I don't know anybody that never has doubt or double-mindedness. I sure don't. Yeah, I like that observation, Tom yeah, Brock. And, you know, I, I, I heard a pastor do a sermon on this at one point and just talked about it's almost like that, that verse is saying to people, that they're treating God as one possible option among many options, uh, and, and that the doubt is coming and saying, you know, God, I'm sort of just going to cover my bases. I'm, I'm going to give you a shot here to, to interact, but you are one uh, among many different uh, beings or situations that I'm going to try to consult to, to sort this out, And as opposed to saying, you know what? Uh, God, I am going to only lean into you on this. I don't, I admit that I don't know if it's going to work out. I don't even know how much I can trust you. That's different when you're going to God as single source, but that what that, what that verse is more talking about is saying, yeah, I'm just going to cover my back with you on this one, God here, uh, as opposed to, I'm so compelled by the people when they meet the risen Lord in the hillside in Matthew, and it says they all worshiped, but some doubted. I mean, <laughs> they're right in the middle know, of the risen Lord. It's like, what are you possibly doubting at this point? And yet I think it speaks to the human condition that in our doubt, as long as we turn back towards God and not make God one of many possibilities in our life, I, I think there's a different invitation there. I like that. I think we're going to take a little break coming up, but I do want to ask you to uh, send over your questions or anything you would like us to discuss. We'd love to hear from you. 877 Eight four again eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. If you're, uh, it's easier for you to remember an email address. You can uh, send me an email, Bill at myfaithradio.com. Bill at myfaithradio.com. Our power panel today is uh, pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson, and Peter Kapsner. That's the squad. We'll be right back.
this is kind of relaxing, isn't it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. Let's dim the lights. So we can all take naps. <laughs> it's the longest bumper music we've ever had. I love it. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Guy Talk is happening, and we're glad uh, to have the power panel here. Let us know what questions you'd like us to chew on. Um, here's a question. It says in Second Thessalonians 2.15, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word or uh, by word of mouth or by letter. What does the traditions part of that mean? Mm. Isn't it God's word and God's word alone, or is, is the traditions that's being referred to here God's word? I think you're right on the mark there. You're getting close to it. Think, okay. about, think about the early church. Mm. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have those writings in their hands to read from. They would get letters occasionally from Paul or from others or Peter. But most of it was word of mouth. It was those who were eyewitnesses then sharing with their kids and with the congregation, they saw the risen Lord. And then those kids saying, my dad saw the risen Lord or or, my mom saw the risen Lord. And then those kids saying it was my great grandfather. And here's what it is. What do we call those things? Those are our family traditions. Mm -hmm. And not in a negative sense, not just a behavior, but a truth that we hang on to. And so I think when they're talking about those traditions there, it makes a lot of sense. If they would have had a written scripture, I think then the writer would have said, and by the way, let's remember those traditions. They're written down in, you know, First John fifteen five. No, he knew what they were. They knew what it was, and they all adhered to it. And, and Bill uh, and guys, let me tell you what that 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 verse brings up a very sad memory for me. Um, the traditions is, is what we just heard. It's the biblical tradition, somewhat before it was written down. Although some of it was by then, but here I was years ago. Uh, in a meeting with my then very liberal pro-choice abortion bishop, pro-LGBT bishop, and I, I, I raised that very verse and said, but shouldn't we be holding firm to the traditions once for all delivered by the apostles? And this bishop just didn't think that was necessary. And, and that, because that verse is kind of the crux of what's going on in Christianity uh, in, in America right now, are we going to hold forth and to the traditions as delivered by the apostles, or are we going to get on whatever trendy bandwagon goes through our culture? That, that's, uh, that's an important verse. Well, and one of the reasons we've gotten there, Tom, is because most pastors want to be liked. Most pastors mm-hmm. want to be accepted by their congregations. Very few pastors want to say, you can't do that with the Bible. You can't turn a tradition into something that we do now. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about this over here. And as a result, I think a lot of this has slipped through over the years to where you have generations growing up, and they have no real understanding of what the Word of God is saying. They they haven't gone to Bible school. They haven't really gone in depth. And But yet they become, what do they become? They become church leaders. They become council members. They become deacons in the church. They become elders in the church. And that's why you see so many churches that are, kind of capitulating so quickly to new philosophies and new ideas because, quite frankly, they don't have any old ones either. And I think some of what we see in that word traditions, too, in the New Testament, and, and Parrish, I'm glad that you brought up the idea that the New Testament wasn't written at that time as, right. a, as sort of a, it wasn't really even compiled and agreed upon until the late 4th century. And and uh, and so when you, when you look at a, the context of people following Jesus at a time when they didn't have a written scriptures, I mean, there's no printing press, there's not a widely distributed available set of scriptures, and, and even their sense of the Old Testament was not necessarily that it was Old Testament. It was simply the, the stories of their past that 
defined and gave shape to their faith understanding. And they were trained from very young ages in that culture to know the stories word for word. I mean, and, and they memorized wide swaths of the Torah. Uh, and so by the Torah, I mean the first five books of the scripture, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You you would not meet too many young Jewish men and even women that didn't have most of the Torah memorized at that right. point. And, and so in their job and, and the way God gave them all sorts of gifts of festivals that they lived by throughout the year. There's the festivals of Pentecost and the Feast of Boothers. You can go through and study all these festivals. And one of the purposes of those festivals uh, and feasts was that they're a mechanism to move the stories of the faithful yeah. from generation to generation to generation to generation. So when it's the idea of hold fast to the traditions, it's not necessarily celebrate the festivals as the Jews would, but it is the idea that the stories of God that have been handed down through the generations don't forget that he is is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the same faithful God of the past will be the faithful God of the future. And in practicing these traditions in that kind of way, you are once again walking in the reality of what God is up to in the world. So there's a different invitation back then that is, I'm going to hold to the tradition of my 19th century church of whatever it is, because we played the organ and, and, and we need to hold that tradition as a sacred cow. That's a different thing right. that we're not talking about here in the scriptures. We're not talking about those kind of traditions. We're talking about the very stories of God given through the Torah with the festivals that they were invited to at that point. It's a really good word, Peter. I appreciate you summarizing it. Think about it for a moment. What if you lived in 60 AD? Right. You lived in 60 AD and you live, you're a Christian church in Turkey. Never been to Jerusalem. Right. You know, you're a Gentile church. You've grown up with that. The only thing you have is a portion of Mark's gospel. I mean, you've got bits. You don't even have the whole thing. You only have bits and pieces. You don't have Luke. You don't have John. You don't have Galatians. You don't have Philippians. You have none of that. All you have is what is written there and then what the traditions are saying about this Jesus. What's amazing to me is these early Christians who never met Jesus, never met the apostles as we know them, believed. Yeah, And they laid down their life for this Jesus. It's phenomenal. We have no excuse when we have all of this to surround ourselves with. I mean, most homes have, I think it's like two and a half Bibles. Whether they ever get read or not is another matter. But we have it, and we should be putting it to work. Yeah, I think some of the, the sweetest times that we've had as a family over the years is, yes, we do read the scriptures together, and we're reading through the book of Acts right now. And at the, the book of Acts is filled with crazy stories, if you actually want to sit down and read this book. I mean, we just got done with the story of Stephen being, uh, or, um, Philip being whisked away to yeah. some other part of Israel after he's done talking with the Ethiopian. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, there, there's crazy stuff in there. We love reading the scriptures together. But we also love, and we have over the years, every year around uh, Easter time, we do hold uh, a messianic version of a Seder meal, which the Seder meal was the Passover feast that the Jews held. Now we hold it in light of the fact we believe Jesus is the Messiah. And uh, we go through this beautiful uh, sort of arc of the story of the Old Testament and into the New and how Jesus fulfilled these promises. And I, and I can promise you that our kids will remember the stories of our past and of our present as a result of taking part in the Seder meal every bit as much as they will in reading through the scriptures themselves. So there's there's a both and. The, the traditions right. of our faith and our forefathers and our foremothers are not to just be entirely done away with when they're consistent with the story that God has been up to uh, from an eternity past at this point. Again, I think we can fairly critique traditions when it's like, well, we always have service at 11 o'clock and you're going to make it 11.05 right now? I'm hanging it up. I mean, that's a different <laughs> idea that we're talking about here, that that's not the invitation. Right. Yeah, I, I think I, oh, this is such a rich conversation that I um, don't have, I know if I have a ton to add to it other than the fact that, you know, I, I, I'm what what Paul, I think, is not talking about here, you know, when Jesus confronts the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders, you know, saying that you teach the traditions of man as, as the doctrines of God and so and, and thereby nullifying the, God's commandment, you know, and there was 
you know, Peter talking about the Torah and the first five books of the of the Old Testament, there was also, you know, the what was called the Talmud, or that was the rabbinic teaching yeah. in terms of the way that they sought to understand and sought to apply the teachings of the Old Testament. And, you know, Jesus was very upfront saying that you search the scriptures in John 5, 39, because you think in them that you have eternal life. But what you fail to recognize is that it's they that testify about me, and yet you failed to come to me. And I think two of the operative words that I think help shape our understanding, just in the context of this idea of standing firm, as I was just reading, you know, what comes before and after it, that idea is, you know, Paul is saying um, that idea that we're saved, that that God chose them to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And then he says this to this, he called you through our gospel so that you may, may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I think it's you know, what the religious leaders had failed to recognize in Jesus' day is that Jesus wasn't nullifying the commandment. He wasn't abolishing it. He was fulfilling it. And I think now we're seeing this true tradition, tradition that's based on the truth of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, ascension, and return. And now he's writing to a group of persecuted Christians, and he's wanting this to be a source of comfort, saying that hold, stand firm to the traditions because this this is a you're a part of a, of an overarching redemptive story of God mm. that He's telling in and through your lives, and and you are not in this alone. That you have that we're with you in this. And then I love you know I I love the benediction at the end of that. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself, from God the Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work. So he think he's really, he's trying to equip them to, to stay the course and to remain faithful, even in the face of great opposition and persecution. Yeah. So with, with those two verses, the verse Bill started with about we need to hold firm to the traditions mm-hmm. delivered to us by the apostles, and then the other verse uh, where Jesus is preaching against the Pharisees and their traditions mm-hmm. because they invalidate the Word of God, I think that says, there's there's traditions that you have to reject because they're contradictory to Scripture, but there's lots of traditions that are fine. I mean, the people that kind of are the people that, um, I mean, here's a lady, Pastor Brock, why aren't the pastors wearing 8 o'clock service anymore? Well, you know, two years ago we, we stopped that. We do it at the other service. Oh, I'm going to have to leave this church. I mean, talk, that's taking a tradition, which means pretty much nothing and making it, a crucial thing. But on the other hand, uh, you know, it, like, for instance, like Luther was big on, nothing's wrong with church tradition, but if it contradicts scripture, you throw it out. Uh, an example would be Lent. Now, you don't have to observe Lent to be believer. Baptists normally don't. Evangelicals don't. I observe Lent, and some people, yeah, but that's not in the Bible. Okay, light bulbs aren't in the Bible. The church probably uses them. As long as something doesn't contradict scripture, and if for hundreds of years Christians have done it because they found it helpful, nothing's wrong with that. So I, we got to throw out scripture that contradicts uh, scripture, but uh, uh, tradition that is. But if a tradition doesn't contradict scripture, I think, like Paul says, you know, uh, all things are uh, you know from God, and we can use them for our enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that, Tom Brock. A little tough hearing yeah. you, just so you know. So maybe we can okay, find a better. I'll move. Maybe find a better, <laughs> better place to talk. So I appreciate. Okay, uh, yeah. Do. No, 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 don't, don't go away. Don't go away. Just maybe reposition <laughs> okay. your phone. You might need a new Bible camp in Iowa. Yeah. All right. Um, I want to continue uh, 
encouraging and affirming, uh, if, especially if you've gone through uh, a period or you're in a storm right now or if you're feeling a little disappointed. I'm curious as to what you guys think about the night that uh, the morning Jesus shows up on the beach and tells uh, the fishermen to put their, their nets mm-hmm. back in the water. Uh, why is it they caught nothing that night? Come on, they're fishermen. They're professional mm-hmm. fishermen. You don't catch nothing unless maybe there's a little providence going on mm. in God's economy where he says, I'll have it that they catch nothing that mm. night. <laughs> so the haul the next yep. day will blow their minds. And well, they must have been so disappointed. Yeah. Well, this is haul number two, because they had been through that before with Jesus. And when he called the disciples, you know, what did you catch? And we're out all night. We haven't caught a thing. We'll throw your nets on the other side. But we've been out all night. Rabbi, why would we want to do this? Of course, then they get the big catch of fish, and then Peter recognizes that this Jesus is more than just a, a good sage talking about fishing. Now you have it again after the resurrection. There they are early in the morning, and Jesus himself shows up on the shore. You know, have you caught anything? <laughs> and and I think I think it is it is kind of uh, reminiscent of what they'd already been through, and it didn't take them long until they figured out, hey, wait a minute, this isn't about fishing. This is about Jesus. You know, and they rush to shore. And the conversation on shore when they're eating their breakfast is not about how many fish did you catch. It's Peter. Do you love me? You know, feed my sheep. And we go through that. And it's, it's a great, great, great uh, moment of uh, rekindling the relationship after the Lord has risen from the dead. I like that. Let mm. me take a little break. Guy talk. Uh, let me know if you have a question you'd like us uh, to address. 877 Nora emailed and said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I love that. That's He's probably playing off the nothing from nothing is nothing theme song. <laughs> we need song. a song. That's about us, Nora. That's, That's wonderful. About, <laughs> That's just about us. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Guide Talk is happening, and we're so glad we've got some great questions coming in from listeners, so thank you very much. Here's a question from 1 John. It starts in 1 John 2, where, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as Mm -hmm. you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Hmm. And then in 1 John 4, it says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Mm. So when we talk about the Antichrist, yeah. you know, this is kind of an old document. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Saying he's already in the world. What up with that? Yeah. I mean, my, the best you should have heard on those kind of passages it have to do with the idea that there's there's an archetype of an Antichrist, meaning that there there is this spirit of rebellion that is going to exist okay. and will be then fully manifest in the final Antichrist that as, a, as the world spins to its sort of final rebellion. And, and when Jesus talks about 
the end uh, times and some of those passages in the Matthew 24, 25, 26 range, he gives a pretty compelling example uh, of saying, like, when to be on the lookout for some things. And I'm sure there's a lot of listeners of the global pandemic and the social unrest and so many things going on in the world. Uh, what Jesus ends up saying is something to the effect of, look, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be sickness. There's going to be all sorts of things that happen. Those those things are part of sort of the fabric of the earth. There's going to be antichrists that, that come and uh, resist and rebel. It is the spirit of the antichrist that comes. But then Jesus says something else when uh, he talks about, and this would be too much for this show, but uh, the abomination of desolation. And, and, and there seems to be this idea, and he uses the example of birth pangs. And, and for for somebody who's had children before, there is this moment where um, the birth pangs come in fits and starts. Now, of course, I wouldn't know this, but I have observed this with uh, with having five kids that um, <laughs> when, when my wife, Hallie, is getting closer to having birth, she'll have a contraction and then maybe it'll be an hour between contractions and then it'll be a half an hour and then it'll be two hours and then it'll be maybe every 10 minutes and then it's like maybe another, you know, the day goes by, something like that. But what Jesus is referencing there is that that moment when the birth is coming, there does become a change in the contractions where they go every regularly, every 10 minutes, every five minutes, every two minutes. And you can tell then when the birth is coming. And Jesus is talking about that, that the world is going to be filled with antichrists, with different versions of the rebellion that is always present. There's always going to be sickness, disease, war, stuff like that. But just pay attention to when those things begin to spin very regularly and they spin faster and faster and faster. Does that mean that we're closer to the end? Well, it means we're closer to the end now than we were 2,000 years ago. But, the, you know, every generation always thinks that their generation is the end. You can chronicle that throughout just a, a short history lesson. People are always thinking this has got to be it. It's not going to get any worse. And I think we would be um, really remiss to suggest that as bad thing, as things are, the, the Roman Empire for those early Christians in that time was pretty bad. And in fact, a lot worse than it is for Christians today in the United States of America. And so I think we have to be very careful to say, gosh, this is the worst uh, in terms of that. But from an Antichrist standpoint, that's the best teaching I've heard is that there's always going to be Antichrist until that final expression that happens in the, in the full global resistance. That's a great answer. I appreciate that, Peter. I look at verse 22, though, and I have a problem with, and I don't disagree, I've heard that too, but in First uh, John 2, verse 22, who is the liar? Uh, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist. Almost every translator translates it with a definite article. Mm-hmm. Not a Antichrist right. or an Antichrist, but the Antichrist. And I think the emphasis is that this is this is the big bad guy that you've got to be concerned about. I think there's a reason for that. I think that what we love to do is we like to look at all the signs and figure everything out. And God the Father says, I'm going to give you signs, and I'm going to tell you what's coming. However... The only thing you cling to is Jesus. He's the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter if you've figured out who the Antichrist is, what's going to happen in Israel, what's going to happen at the end of time. If you're not clinging to Jesus, you're lost. Mm-hmm. And I think the early church picked that up because, yeah, right, they were facing the, the, the Romans. It was a horrible time. I often think of Matthew 24 when Jesus talks about, you know, the, the temple. And, and Jerusalem, and be surrounded by enemies, and, you know, pray in those days, you know, for mothers that are nursing or are pregnant. Yeah. What does that got to do with, if this is the end, what does that got to do with it? You know, he's coming. It should happen any moment. So, and that's where we wind up with all these different people trying to figure it out and come up with these formulas. Well, there's the seven years tribulation and there's, and the Bible talks about that. But what that exactly means, I've come over all these years and I study the text very hard in the Greek. The only thing that's sure is Jesus. Yeah. Agreed. 
Yeah, I think along with that, you know, the scripture talks, Jesus talks about, you know, in terms of the Antichrist is going to come with false signs and wonders. And this this chilling line said, if possible, to deceive even the elect. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know, and and uh, and what so you we were just talking about traditions. You know, uh, uh, just after, you know the last segment. What's so interesting about this? Even though that doesn't, you know, uh, they don't use the word traditions here. John doesn't, but he says we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever mm-hmm. is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so and so that idea of you know that word in First John. Is I mean the, one, the words get repeated is that to abide in the truth, abide in love, and then we can have confidence. We can have confidence in that day, that final day of judgment. As bad as it will get, it will get worse before it gets better. Um, I don't think we need to be overly concerned about the nitty gritty details of who's the antichrist and is it this big politician or this big world leader. I mean, I think it probably will become more clear once that happens. But you know, this idea I think we true. What's animating the the antichrist is Satan himself. And so, and we know Satan's been there from the beginning. And so that way we have a confidence that greater is he who is in us, the spirit of God, than he who is in the world. So um, I think it's, you know, all the more important, again, that we're not going to rightly understand and be able to abide in the truth unless we are in uh, living and breathing in 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 the context of Christ-centered community. I do get nervous. I get nervous when there's uh, preachers on the radio or on TV, and they've got charts and how's it, how it's all going to pan out, and halfway through the seven-year. I mean, does when I looked at the seven-year tribulation, where does it actually say seven years? I think they're talking about. I think they take it from the seven days in Daniel, but it's iffy. I mean, and people talk about the seven-year tribulation period as if for sure it's going to be seven years. I think that's iffy, and I, I think we need to center in on the fact that Christ will return, raise the dead, judge the world, and there will be an Antichrist before the end. But when people get real uh, firm and certain about how it's going to pan out, again, think of how we misinterpreted the first coming of Christ. Nobody was expecting the the first coming of Christ to be a crucified Savior. They were looking for a, a political Savior from the Romans. But that's the, that's the way he came the first time. He will come the second time in the clouds, and and it'll be glorious, but not exactly the way we are selling books, telling people it's going to happen. Yeah, certainly the entire book of Hebrews is written to a group of believers who misunderstood when Jesus was going to return, and they began to fall away from their faith because there was people around them that were beginning to die. And their understanding was is that nobody was going to die uh, in between Jesus's ascension to heaven and when he would return. And so as they were dying and experiencing persecution, they, they began to question the very fabric of their faith. And the book of Hebrews is written to that very subject and that very idea. And so I think that that book is a good book for all of us to read right now in the midst of, you know, of wondering, is this the end? Is this, well, all I know is I remember when it was 1999 and it was getting close to December 31st, we all thought the planes were going to drop out of the sky and that was the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I remember looking at Australia and saying, what's happening over there? Is this, you know, turning to Y2K at this point? And so, you know, yeah. th- this is a pretty common thing. And I think uh, your guys' word, the idea, fix your eyes on Jesus, regardless of the circumstances and when the end is going to come is the point of those books. Well, you think about it, when we stand before God the Father in the day of judgment and he said, what's important to you? Jesus, his shed blood for my sins, rising from the dead for my justification, you know, his grace. I don't think any people will be bringing up these things. Right. And so not, I'm not saying we ignore these things, not at all. I, I very much believe the word of God. But the point is, these are the things that denominations argue over. 
These are the things that divide us. And I think that the devil just delights and has a good time because we can't nail it down, any of that. What we can nail down, and forgive the, the analogy, is who Jesus is right. and what he's done. And that's the focus that we have to have. And then, and then the error on the other side of the fence are the liberal churches that never talk about the second coming of Christ. Right. Jesus is, is a good example of how to be nice, and him returning in glory to judge the heavens and the earth never comes up. <laughs> so yeah, there's a balance in here. Let, you know, prophecy is definitely in the Old and New Testaments. We should be about preaching and studying prophecy. But Jesus said... You know, the, the Son doesn't know, only the Father knows, and I think the Son knows now, but even on earth, Jesus didn't know when his return would be. So when pastors and preachers are, I, I mean, the conservatives tend to get much too dogmatic. The liberals don't even talk about the issue, and that's, that's an error as well. All right. Not all opinions reflect the views of the station. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take a little break. We're going to have an extended version of Guide Talk, which means a little bit more time. Then we have a very special guest coming up in the second half of the second hour. That's all coming up next. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.